0: Hey, it's Pastor Tim. Thank you for listening. I pray this message inspires you to live a life engaged in Jesus Christ. Welcome home. Well, thank you so much. Have you gone this week to the light of the world? You know, I think it's interesting that we seldom tend to look for light when we are in the day. You know what I mean? We still need it, but we don't always look for it. It's when we get into darkness that the light becomes ever more necessary, that, that, that we, we seek it out even more. And that's one of the reasons why I love the fact that we celebrate Christmas at this time of the year. You know, it's not the traditional or... the. Um, Historic time, right? Christ was probably born late summer, early uh, fall, sometime around there. The Roman emperor wanted to merge Christianity with paganism uh, to, you know, smooth everybody over. So he made a bunch of pagan holidays into Christian holidays, and so he decided to make uh, December 25th, which is a pagan holiday. He said, "We're going to make that the Christmas day. It's going to be Christmas." And some people have said that, well, because of that, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas on December 25th. But here's what I say. This is what I've always said. You've heard me say it before if you've been to this church any amount of time. How many days are God's? Oh. Every day is God's. So I love the fact that they took a pagan day that the devil tried to claim for himself and reclaimed it and said, no, we are going to use this day to celebrate life. The Son of God and what he has done for us. The fact that it is December 25th, it is near the darkest time of the year. The winter solstice has just hit. It is one of the coldest times of the year. And I think at one of the darkest and coldest times of the year, it is so appropriate for us to bring Jesus. And to focus on Jesus. And to celebrate the light that came into the world. And the warmth that fills each of us when we accept Him. I praise God. You know, we have turned Christmas not to a uh, commercial holiday. But we've turned it into a holiday where we want to make sure that only joy exists. Right? Right? And so we make our houses, and we make our churches, and we make everything as festive as we can. But, but, but I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Didn't they do a great job decorating the church once again? But sometimes I, my fear that I can cause us to forget the reason for the season. See, God did not send his son himself in the form of man so that we could... Um, happy all the time. He sent his son because we needed him. Yeah. And I don't want in our celebration us to forget the need that we had. That's why this series is entitled, The First Noel. The First Noel. You see, the... Um, we think of the first Noel and we sing the songs as the babe lying wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger or off in Jerusalem. But do you know that wasn't the first Noel? That wasn't the first time that God had given himself as a gift to Humanity. It wasn't the first time that a mother was promised a son that would save the world. The first Noel, to see the first Noel, we have to take our Bibles and turn all the way back to Genesis. And the third chapter. Because just like Jesus came in the form of man, at a time when the world was darkest and we needed him, so he was prophesied to come at a time when the world was darkest and humanity needed him the most. Genesis, the third chapter. We're going to be studying this entire Christmas series, it's going to be from this chapter. Most people, when they read this chapter, they hate it because it is um, entitled The Fall of Man. In Genesis 3, we see Eve going and talking to the serpent in the tree. We see her telling her, oh, you will not surely die, even though God said the day you eat of this fruit, you will absolutely die. And she looks at the tree, it's pleasing to the eye, it's uh, able to make one wise, it's good for food, and you know what she does? She takes the thing that God said not to, and she eats the thing that God says not to, and then she gives some to her husband, and he eats it too. He's a big boy, not her fault, he made a choice. And both of them immediately recognized, realized that they were naked. See, they didn't realize it before because God's Shekinah glory shone out from them. It was a sign that he was in them and they had eternal life with them. And the minute they eat the fruit in rebellion to God, they realize they are naked. They lose the light. And then they hear God coming, gently, peacefully calling to them, and they hide from God. They try and rustle together some fig leaves to cover their shame and nakedness. But God finally comes to them and he starts asking them, what is going on? Why are you hiding from me? And this is where we pick up the story. Genesis, the third chapter, and we're going to be starting in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, amongst the trees in the garden. The Lord called out to man and said, Where are you? He's knocking on the door of man's heart, because man is now Separate himself from God. So God's asking permission to come into his presence. He answered, the man did, I heard you in the garden and I was what church? Oh, that must have broke God's heart. Because I was naked, so I hid. And he said to him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? And the man, being the brave man, the man who could stand up for his wife in any situation, said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman, humble and meek of heart, said, The serpent deceived me. I I, I thought it was churro. I really didn't know what it was. The serpent deceived me. And I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, I want you to see this picture right now. Humanity is now fallen, it is lost. Adam and Eve are standing there, possibly thinking, This is it. God has come to snuff us out. If there were ever a time when somebody needed a gift of salvation, it was now. You, me, all of us, the entire humanity are right here waiting to see what will happen to it. Waiting to see God curse them and tear them down. But God does something so godlike, He instead gives them gifts. You know, when I was a kid, my um, mom would always, you know, uh, wrap all the gifts. And, you know, we each had to have at least 10 gifts. We were spoiled beyond belief. I praise God for a wonderful mother who spoiled us beyond belief. You know, we couldn't afford a lot. But she would make sure that they were nice gifts, all different sizes. And always, always there was one big gift, Monty, one big gift that she had picked out and put the majority of her money into. And it was the biggest box there. And you know what she would always say as we came and our eyes got big and we were just salivating to get to those gifts? She would say, okay, now pick the gifts you want to open. We'll open one at a time. And each of us gets to open our gift. And what would our eyes automatically go, do you think? The big one, one, right? The big one. What's the big one? And what would mom always say, do you think? Save that one for last. Because she knew once we opened that one, everything else is sort of pale in comparison. It says, save the big one for last. Anyone else live that? Anyone else live that to their kids? But here God is standing before Adam and Eve. And he's about to pass out some amazing gifts to them in their brokenness. But instead of saving the big one for last, God opens the big one first. And we're going to read about that right now. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this. By the way, who's the serpent? The devil. devil. We know this. Revelation says, That great liar, the great deceiver, that serpent. Okay, this is the devil. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will do what? Somebody say it louder. Eat dust. All the days of your life. And I will put what, church? Enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And he will strike at your heel, but you, you, you will do what? It says strike here. I like the actual uh, NIV translation better. It says, You will crush. Somebody say, Crush. Crush. Somebody say, Crush. Crush. You will crush his head. This is the big gift that we are going to talk about today. Are you in a time of need? overwhelmed in loss and darkness? Do you need more than a pretty wrapped gift that can be bought in a store? If you do, the good news is you already have it. The good news is it has been bought and paid for and is ready for you to receive and open and use. Three things we want to talk about today about the big gift that God has given to us. At the first, Noel. The first is a gift of dust. The second is a gift of enmity. And the third, it is a gift of the stomp. Somebody say stomp. Father in heaven, we ask that you would speak in this moment to each and every yearning heart here today. We ask for those who may have come in here um, just out of obligation or tradition that you would break down the doors and that you would talk to them. Let them know who you are. We thank you, Father. Guide us and speak through us, we pray. Lord, I ask once again that it be your voice that be heard. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's a gift of dust. The serpent sat high above the tree, gloating, while Adam and Eve waited for God to curse them. Adam and Eve were focusing on what they had done, how they had. Failed God, how they had let him down, and they were just waiting for that to happen. All the focus was on whose fault it was. You saw that, right? You know, we failed, but but it was really, you know, it was really, it was really blaming everybody. God does something amazing. God doesn't focus on blame. God shows them a solution. God tells them, focus on me. He and what I am about to do. I love this. He takes the snake who is high above them in the tree, perched up there, looking at them, laughing at them. And he grabs and he throws them down to the dust and say, you are now dust. And you will eat dust the rest of your life. The thing I love about this is the curse was not on us. Instead, God put the blessing on us. Have you ever been there in the midst of your fall? And just know, you just know that everything that's about to happen that's bad in your life is going to come up. It's going to be a curse upon you because you messed up. You messed up and now it's on you. Well, at the first Noel, when the first mom and dad messed up, God said, The curse is not on you, the curse is on the enemy. The solution is on you. You get to stand here with me, but he is thrown into the dust. Somebody say dust. dust. Why dust? You know, I read over this and skipped over this for years. You know, it's just one of those things that, you know, maybe God's rubbing it in to the serpent, right? Say, so, yeah, yeah, you used to get to be up in the tree and eat fruit, but now you're going to eat dust. Ha, ha. As I'm studying this, I realize this doesn't sound like God. God has to be saying something here. And then it hits me. He's just talked about dust two chapters earlier. One chapter, if you consider chapter two. What was the dust? It was what he used to form. Specifically the man and woman, but all of it was Dust. It was the material that he used to pour himself into that man came out of. You see, at first it was just a pile of dust, and then God entered it, and it became a living being. And it hit me, the dust is what we were before God came into the picture and called us out. And the enemy eats dust, is what he fills himself with. It's what he sustains himself with, because it's the thing that's without God. And God was giving Adam and Eve a choice there, saying, stand with me, or you can chase the dust with him. Isn't that good? See, I would have thought he'd toss them in the dust and remind them how little they were. But he doesn't do that. All that fills the serpent is lifeless because God is not in it. It's all dust. And if we are chasing after those things that are lifeless with the serpent... Our ambitions, our greed, our lust, our pride, our anger, our unforgiving hearts, they're all dust. And we crawl with the enemy, filling ourselves up on the emptiness. When um, I first started dating Mick, I realized something about her, um, about really our situation. Things were very different when she would leave my house compared to when she would first come in, okay? And we, you know, hang out, uh, you know, often for hours. And and when we came in, uh, she came in. You know, there was, you know, pretty much, a you know, clean house. You know, my mom's Portuguese, and, you know, so she, you know, does the average amount of cleaning three times a day. Um. And and then whenever Mick would leave, there would be all of these tissue papers, crumpled up, all around wherever she was. And I was like, what is this, all this stuff? And it, she told me, well, it's my allergies. And she was constantly wiping her nose. And, you know, and I was like, oh, oh. She. it didn't dawn on me. I said, well, what are you allergic to? She's said, all, I'm allergic to dust. I said, but it's a Portuguese house. There was no dust. So there's dust everywhere. I said, well, okay, you know, I can, you know, she's perfect in every other way. She has this one flaw, uh, allergy to dust. It's all right. It's not a big deal. Didn't become a big deal until we got married. And then every couple of months, you would come to me and say, "Hun, the dust on the windows, you know, and the screens, it's getting too much. We need to wash the windows. I'm going to tell you something about your pastor. I, Monty, I clean the bathroom so you can eat off the floor, Okay. Mind clean the bath. I wash the dishes till they're sparkling. I don't use the dishwasher for nothing but to dry it. Okay, I don't mind doing stuff around the house, but one thing I absolutely hate to do, <laughs> <laughs> bro, That's why you make it? I hate it. <laughs> and, and, and and she would she she would say, well, honey, it'll just take a you know it'll take like uh, half an hour. 45 minutes tops. It's like a three-hour process. <laughs> Take the screens off. Scrub the screens. I'm wiping down the window. It, it, it's not like on the mainland where you have a window and you just wash it. No, they're louvers. We have 87 billion louvers <laughs> in our house. <laughs> and every one of them. Scrip, dip, 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 dip. Yeah. And it would become a real source of contention with us. You know, I would be laying there in bed and trying to sleep, and I'd hear her next to me, <laughs> blowing nose. ah, like, oh. and I knew what was coming. The more she would sniff, and the more she would blow, I said, "Oh, getting close to that date. Oh, yeah, it's coming." No. See, the dust didn't bother me. I was used to living in dust. And one day, you know, we got into a, you know, a little bit tiff because I was just like, oh, she's like, can we clean the windows now? I'm like, oh, and she's like, you know what, forget it. I'll do it myself. I'm like, no, 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 I, I will deign to help you. <laughs> <sighs> I mean. <sighs> I like, no, no, I, said, I didn't say anything. So you don't have to say anything. It's your face. And she starts crying. I'm like, why is she crying? It must be the dust. And then God told me something important. You can have the dust, you can have your wife. But you might not be able to have both. At that moment, I had to choose and realize what was really important to me. Why was I getting so frustrated? Because my comfort was being disturbed. You should say boo, Pastor, because I was ashamed of myself when when it finally dawned on me how selfish I had been. So now, the dust, and I I warn my kids. Hey, it's coming. We got to clean these windows. (laughs) Smile. It'll be okay. I make a game of it. You know, I put some music on. It's fine. And I do it not because I love cleaning windows. That will never happen. (laughs) But I do it now because I love my wife. I don't want to... Her to suffer in the dust. You get to choose. Do you want to live with the dust or do you want to live with your beloved? See, because he doesn't live in dust. He creates from dust. He changes the dust. The first gift he gave us to open on that wonderful day was a gift of dust. It was a gift of choice to let us know you can stand here with your father or you can get on the ground with the serpent in the dust. You get to choose. Deuteronomy 30, 19, one of our tattoo texts, we read it all the time. What does it say? This day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you that I have set before you what? Amen. And? Life and death, light and dust, blessings and curses. Now, he's telling us. You don't have to guess what he wants from us. Choose what? Life. Choose life so that you and your children will live. But guess what it is for us? It's a choice, a beautiful choice that he has given us. I pray that you, this week, As you get ready to go out into the world, you stop, and you open that big gift, and you use what's in it, the choice to choose life, to wipe off the dust, to walk over it and not in it. Second point. Second point. It's a gift of enmity. It's a gift of enmity. As God is standing there and he's cast the serpent now on the ground. He's no longer above them, lording it over him, but he's beneath them. He says, now I will put enmity between Eve's offspring and the serpent's offspring. And in doing so, he was telling them. This is huge. Because what had they just done? What had they just done? They would eaten the fruit. The juice of the fruit was still dripping off of their lips. They were fallen. But yet God says, I will put enmity between your offspring and the serpent's offspring. So immediately he's telling them there's two different offsprings. Wait a minute, isn't the serpent about sin? Yes, he is. Isn't the serpent about deception? Yes, he is. But then you've put me outside of him. So who's my offspring? Who's in me? If the serpent is filled with deceit and death, who's in me? I agree, Asher. He's saying amen. Learn from Asher. If deception and death is the devil's offspring, and that's the offspring of sin. Then our offspring gets to be what? Life. Life. It gets to be God. Standing there in their fig leaves and sticky hands and mouths from this fruit, God is telling them, You still belong to me. You know, this part of the. the the fall of man, is usually called the curses. Okay? This cannot be called a curse. This is a huge gift. Have you ever been standing there in your sin feeling like, I don't belong to you anymore, God? I've fallen. I'm bad. I'm shameful. I've done it all. And you're sitting there saying, why am I always struggling with the same sin over and over and over again? That thing that frustration that anger that struggle that's enmity that's god telling you you don't belong there while well, I was in college I came back from PUC to go to UH and I had some great friends I love these guys to death but none of them were christian and um we used to do nerd stuff, play card games and things like that. But as we started going on in college and growing up, they started getting more and more into the party life. Okay? And we were all close. And so they would say, you know, hey, why don't you come over to him? We're going to be hanging out. I'm like, oh, okay, great. I'd go there, you know, ready to play cards or, you know, whatever. And soon the beers would start coming out. I'd be like, huh, okay, well, yeah, you know, it's their thing, not my thing. And soon the powder would start coming out. And the pills would start coming out. And, and, and this is not judgment on them. But for me, I stood there and I love these guys. But I said, I, I don't belong here. This, this is not a place that I belong. I don't need to be here. And that feeling, I realized later that's enmity. That's God reminding us that we were made to walk in heavenly realms. We were made to walk the way of the Spirit. Now, while we are on this earth, we can walk the way of the Spirit while walking through dusty paths and walking through dark alleys. But as long as we realize that we don't belong in those places and we are not about those things. And the huge gift that God is giving to us through Adam and Eve is that enmity, letting them know you don't belong to the enemy. You may have fallen, you may have sinned, but I am still your father. Oh, come on, somebody should be excited about that. Be Pentecostal for half a second. Yeah. Jump up out of your seats and go, Harumadi Madang. That's speaking in tongues. To I'm just saying, that's exciting to me. Because every time I fall, and the enemy's whispering, Got you, you belong to me, I am over you. God is saying, "Uh uh-uh, you feel that frustration, you feel that anger, you feel that shame, that's enmity, that's me reminding you, this is not the place you belong, get yourself home, streetlights have come on, it's time to go home, everybody over the age of 40 understands what I just said, (laughs) the kids are like, what does he mean by streetlights, I don't get it. There is a problem, though, with enmity. Because God is not a God of force. He allows us, like we said in that first gift, choice. And so something happens when we are in a place and the enmity comes up and says, you don't belong here. And we say, yeah, but I'm going to stay anyway. That enmity becomes a little bit less. It's a little bit less frustrating. It's a little bit less... Uncomfortable. I must stay a little bit longer. I don't care. Immunity, shut up. I want to be here. Immunity, be quiet. I'm about this. I stayed at one party once. Um, and I stayed there, you know, past the place I was uncomfortable because there was a girl I was really interested in. And they brought out the and they brought out the other stuff and they were all sitting around and I'm just sitting there and I'm starting to say and the same voice and the same thing is calling and saying, you don't belong here, Tim, you need to get out. I'm like, yeah, but I can be a witness to them. And God said, you can, but are you? I struggled a bit and I knew if I stayed longer, I could be okay with it. I could justify it away. But it dawned on me, if I did that, then I would get to the place where I wouldn't realize that I didn't belong anymore. What are the things in your life that God has tried to put enmity in to try to remind you you don't belong, but you keep lingering there. You keep staying there, hoping to push away the enmity. For some of us, It's the things like drugs and alcohol and lust. But even more destructive, enmity also tells us we don't belong in pride. We don't belong in unforgiveness. We don't belong in bitterness. And yet we say, but I am justified. I want to stay here. Do you know who belongs in pride? Do you know who belongs in unforgiveness? Do you know who belongs in... Bitterness, the serpent. Is that where you want to be? Oh, brothers, I know it's not. So I'm calling you today, all of you, check yourselves. Ask God to reign afresh, open afresh that gift of enmity in you and remind you of any places that you have been setting up dwellings in that you don't belong and then once that gift of enmity is opened within you and you realize, oh, I don't belong here. Use the gift and get out. Walk in the path that God has made for you. Isaiah forty-three-one says this. This, but now thus says the Lord, who created you? Don't forget that. We are created by God to be like God. Someone say, like God. God. He formed you. Fear not, for I have done what? Redeemed you. I have called you by name. And you are mine. Whose are we? When we stumble and fall and the... The juice of our sin is dripping off of our lips. Whose are we? Yes. When we've tried to cover ourselves with fig leaves and our own works righteousness and we're standing there and the devil saying, I got you now. Whose are we? Yes. We are God's. Praise God for that gift. I told you, it's the big one. Make sure it stays open in your lives every day. Make sure you're using it every day. Third point. Third point. It's a gift of the stomp. It's a gift of the stomp. After God promises that they would be his, after God says that you will not be on the ground with the devil, I've cast him down, you can stand with me. He tells them one other thing about this war between her offspring and his offspring. He says, you will strike, the serpents will strike At your heel. But you will do what? Stomp. Crush his head. That is a gift, a promise of victory. Victory before the battle has started. Victory no matter how rough the battle gets. We know that the enemy is defeated. That says he will strike at your heel because he's on the dirt. But more than that, he's striking at your heel to get you to stumble. He's striking at your heel to get you to stop your walk, okay, to frustrate your journey. He's striking at your heel because he's hoping that you will think, oh, he's on me now. He's attached to me now. He's part of me now. Look at him. Latched on. His venom is coursing through my veins. I must be with him. God says, yeah, he's going to do that. But don't forget, he's empty. He will strike at your heel, absolutely. He will try and frustrate you, absolutely. But guess what? You can stomp all over him. Get on up and stomp. I want to play for our closing song today, Stomp. I don't know if you ever heard Crip Franklin Stomp. A few of you are laughing because you know about it. When you go home, listen to it. You'll see why I didn't play it in church today. But it's an amazing song to remind us that we can stomp. When oh, the devil's latching and biting and striking. God has given us the power in Jesus Christ. So if we are in him, he can even strike us. Okay. Yeah, you got me there. You nicked me. But guess what? You're a defeated foe. You ain't going to stop my walk. You ain't going to pull me down to your level. I've got the stomp in me. So in Jesus' name. I call on you today to use and open the biggest gift of the first Noel and stomp out his lies, stomp out the doubts, stomp out the bitterness, stomp it all out, and walk in the victory that he has given you. Him latching on to you. I'm going to end on this. I'm going to end on this. This in the text. The text is Joshua 1.9. Text of Joshua 1 9. When the enemy is coming, and, and you know, here's the thing how many of you, we, we in Hawaii don't understand this, this phenomenon of snakes and serpents. We see them on the TV and stuff, and we're like, oh wow, that's, that's, that's interesting and stuff. But I, for the first 10 years of my life, grew up in California, I saw snakes all the time. And you know what happens when you see a snake? I remember I'm, um, we're walking through the uh, San Diego. They have an uh, outdoor conservatory. And we thought for whatever reason it would be a good idea to go out and walk out there. Okay? So we're walking out there. We're looking at all the plants and the fauna and all the different things. And I see Maddie going like this. <gasps> what is that? I'm standing there. I've got my jeans on, my cowboy boots on. I'm looking pretty cool, right? You know, like the manly man. I'm trying to be John Wayne out in this desert, you know. I'm like, what, Mads? What do you, do you see something that's bothering you? I'm sorry, is there something? And she points at my feet, and I go, what? I look down, and I see sticking out from my boot this little black line, and it's going like this. And I went, ah! Yes, your pastor embarrassed himself. And I jumped up, I went, oh, and I jumped away, and I like, my heart was beating. I almost threw my girls to it. I didn't, I didn't go that far. But I was like, ha! Ah! I jumped up, and it slithered off into the bushes. And at that point, we all looked at each other and said, I think we've seen enough, let's go now. <laughs> but here's the crazy thing where was the snake? It was under my boot, it was wriggling for its very life. I was in complete control. Over it. But I saw this thing, one tenth of my size, and fear gripped me. God called you and said, Have I not commanded you? Not asked you, not suggested to you, but what has God done to us? He's commanded us be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For who? Now, those of us who have been with us through the whole year and know this series, who is that talking about? Jesus. Yahweh. Yahweh. All caps for Yahweh, the creator God, the one who is intimate with us, the one who is Jesus, will be with us. Where? As long as we only walk where we're supposed to walk. God will be with us where? Wherever we go. You don't need to be afraid, you don't need to jump up, you don't need to let fear grip you. I call on you today to open up the gifts, to open up the gifts of the first Noel. To choose not to be in the dust to hold on to the intimate enmity and to stomp the enemy whenever you have him at your feet. Father <sighs> in heaven, we thank you for being a God who didn't wait until Bethlehem town 2,000 years ago to give us Christmas. But right from the very moment we needed it, You declared that Christmas was here. You gave us gifts. And Lord, if there be anybody here today who desperately needs to remember that they have these gifts, to open them up and to use them, Lord, let them in this moment make the decision to do so, make the choice to fill themselves with you, to stomp out the enemy, and to hold on to the enmity that they have. I thank you, Father. I thank you. Now, Lord, we ask that as we go from this place, we will walk each day in the fullness of who we are. Thank you, Father. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support this ministry with your time treasure, or talent, please visit our website at kaneohesda.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.